This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It was like a head-on car accident there. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him, kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. You can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. Hey, hey, it's G-Mac along with Doug Brown. It is the Blue Bomber Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sharing, downloading, subscribing. And of course, please don't forget to rate the podcast. The Blue Bombers, uh, we're going to rate them for the next 20 minutes or so. Doug Brown, 4-0 are the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the best team in the CFL. Let's just jump right into it. There's 3-0. Oh, sorry. I'm assuming the win (laughs) on Friday night. Let's back it up. Wow. I mean, they're a very, very good football team right now, but to start adding to the win column before they even, wow, that's yeah, Okay, so wow. you caught me. Okay. Uh, okay, the Blue Bombers are officially 3-0. They won't be 4-0 until Friday night. Uh, Ottawa Red Bucks. right? A mere formality. Not we'll like we'll discuss that. We'll, we'll, Teams we'll, love it when the media goes out and puts them in a position You know like what? That, they're, they're not listening they're, to this. Yeah. Trust me, they're not listening. Is this the best team in the CFL? 3-0, 4-0, or otherwise? Yeah, no. Uh, every single power ranking uh, devised by mankind, whether it was the CFL, some random on Twitter, um, everybody has the Winnipeg Blue Bombers number one, and, and rightfully so. They're the only remaining undefeated team in the CFL. But, you know, you don't want to get – you don't want to start writing headlines after three games into the regular season. Um, but they're – you know, a lot of it is warranted. They're a very balanced football team. They don't have – you know, if you look at them, you're like, what's their weakness? You're like, I don't really know. Maybe uh, – actually, after this game, I would say their weakness is if Nichols goes down, I think their passing attack goes out the window mm-hmm. um, because I think Chris Strebler just really, really, really wants to be a running quarterback who only has to throw on occasion and uh, uh, infrequently. So maybe that is is their weakness right there, definitely quarterback. But, you know, with the number of injured quarterbacks in the CFL right now, uh, that's a situation a lot, of, a lot of teams have to contend with. But, yeah, they're, they're a balanced football team. They're complete. Uh, they're undefeated. Uh, they have some more um, uh, gettable spots on the bingo card coming up. You know, you don't want to say free spots, but they're uh, they're going to have. I'll to. say it. <laughs> you don't want yeah, to say it. You already said it. I already said it. And uh, you know, it's always been my policy not to make definitive statements about a football team until the six game mark, because then you're a third of the way through. You have a, you have an idea about what their identity is, what their traits are, what you will see on a consistent basis week after week. And we're not quite there. Like you say, in in three weeks they could be three and three. That would be highly surprising if they were three and three um, but it's still it's really early in the season it's great to get excited I think the the most promising thing is that the players uh, in that in that locker room you, you're starting to build you're starting to feel it now you're, you're getting in the zone as a football team you're building momentum uh, that confidence is just infectious once you start winning games and even you know even a game earlier this year that they won that they maybe didn't deserve to and they're good enough to still pull it out. It, it can be uh, a real tidal wave of, of positive momentum in terms of them going, hey, we're really buying in. We're really believing around here. And they could, they could put a serious streak together uh, if, they, uh, if they stay focused and uh, mindful. And in that Mike O'Shea frame of mind where everything's out the window, 
the next game is up. It means everything. Nothing else matters. And then you move on kind of thing. So uh, if they stay true to who they are as a football team, they have uh, a big opportunity to do something pretty positive this year. Last year we saw Edmonton go 7-0. and The Blue Bombers, I think, went 7-1 and or 7-0 and back in 2011. And then kind of, oh, you were on that team, um, kind of faded down the stretch uh, before making it to the Grey Cup in 2011. So why don't we make that comparison to that 2011 team in terms of the differences that you might see Oh, I think between I think, that team and this team, 2011. I think they're miles ahead of us uh, offensively. You know, uh, I think they're they're special teams in terms of uh, I can't even remember. Uh, or, or yeah, I don't think I've ever paid attention to the special who the, teams. Who the kicker is? <laughs> kicker I can't remember was. who. Uh, <laughs> but uh, maybe it was Mike Reno. He was awesome. But uh, um, yeah, I think uh, offensively they are. Uh, that's a big if you want to compare this team to, to 2011 even though obviously it's very very early I would say the thing that jumps off the page is how much better of an offense uh, this team is uh, how many more stars offensively they have I think and uh, I, I think it from every position um, I, I don't even think it's it's really comparable uh, how good this this football team is defensively um, yeah there's probably a, a, a better comparison there but like I say we'll, we'll see each defense dominant defenses they're always you know they have their own thing about them and you don't want to say they all have their own swagger because that would be that would be tainting this conversation um, but they all have you know they have a different unique traits and things that that make them uh, very good I believe this defense I think they have 10 takeaways already in, in three games. Uh, the entire football team is plus five right now against Ottawa. Would they allow only 236 yards? And then the biggest factor, the biggest stat of all for this defense right now is they have not allowed uh, a major score, a touchdown to be scored by a, an offensive unit against them since the third quarter of the BC game. That was week one, right? So Exactly and, one touchdown against this defense uh, through this entire season so far. So why don't we shift? I know you had other things to say on this, but maybe it'll dovetail into this conversation about the defense. Richie Hall has been criticized, maligned. Uh, you can list. There's a whole litany and a whole gigantic series of words that have been used to describe and, and arrows and daggers that have been thrown his way over the years. And we were concerned, I think collectively, I know I was, thought that the defensive backs might be the only question mark on this team heading into 2019. They're answering the bell big time back there. We had the conversation last week about Ben don't break. Michael Shea says, uh, that's a media invented terminology. I would never ever hear a football player use that terminology. Is this the best defense in the CFL? I mean, I think you'd have to hand that to them right now. I think the frustration that comes with Richie Hall's defense is that people almost see it as a contradiction of terms um, in the sense you can have a game like they did against Edmonton uh, where they get marched up and down the field, but then they only allow field goals, right? Seven field goals uh, uh, up against them, but the yardage totals, right? So it's hard for a lot of people to say best defense and great defense and then look at 
at yardage totals and mm-hmm. going, wait a second, you know. Usually when you talk about a great defense, you're like, oh, you can't run against them, you can't pass against them, your average yards per play are really low, they have a ton of sacks, they get a ton of turnovers, and they do a lot of things very well. Like I say, obviously easily the best red zone defense in, in the CFL. Um, they're great at taking the ball away. They've always been that in his defense. Uh, they're just not necessarily great, you know, between the, between the 20s. Uh, But that's sometimes. Who knows? They could be evolving. Like I say, it's too early, I think, to get a handle on this evolution of of this Richie Hall defense. Um, It's only been three games. We've only had three. We can't say definitively what they are as a defense. We can say overall their body work's been pretty damn good right now. And uh, up there on the list of things you want to do as a player on a defense, not allowing touchdowns. Probably going to be uh, pretty important when your defensive coordinator uh, identifies, hey, these are some goals we have this year. Let's start with not allowing people to score touchdowns on us. That's probably that's going to cover up a lot of other areas that might not be so perfect, right? But I think that's the only frustration you get and the hard time some people have swallowing, saying great defense and Richie Hall's defense. It's just that the numbers don't always back. Or some of the numbers certainly back that up. Well, the rushing numbers yeah. in particular, the, they are terrific against yeah. the run. Yeah, uh, just, you know against the pass sometimes, maybe some sacks sometimes, maybe some time they're on the field, right? Uh, Opponent possession time. Granted, this game against Ottawa, uh, I believe the Bombers had the football for almost 40 minutes, uh, just over 39 minutes in terms of possession time. So that's Mm -hmm. amazing. So it's still early. We don't really know what the traits and characteristics of this 2019 edition defense is going to be, but man, does it look good so far. And like you say... who cares if they uh, if teams are able to move the ball against them in, in certain areas of football field? Bottom line is one touchdown allowed. Uh, they give up field goals. They play excellent red zone defense. They take the football away, and those are the things that matter most right now. And they're a big part of the success that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have had thus far. And they played terrific on Friday night against Ottawa, in spite of the absence of Adam Big Hill. And that tells you a lot about the other pieces in this defense. It tells you a lot about Kyrie Wilson, in my mind. And they're really not, in terms of that pass rush, outside of Jackson Jeffcoat, nobody really has any numbers on that defensive line in terms of getting to the quarterback or rushes or hurries or anything like that. So we've yet to see the best of Willie Jefferson. We've yet to really see Craig Rowe get going here. So that's got to be a positive as well that... They're not even clicking, you could argue, on all cylinders on defense. Yeah, I think uh, the defensive line, this is probably the best game we've seen of them this year against Ottawa, right? Uh, Willie Jefferson only showed up on the stat sheet, I think, with one sack and maybe a tackle or something like that. But uh, he was a force out there for sure. I think uh, uh, in terms of stopping the run, in terms of making Ottawa a one-dimensional team by taking that phase away from them, from the Red Blacks, I think they did a pretty good job this game. Uh, they're certainly getting better. Um, they're starting to play, get more familiar with one another, understanding their roles in, in this defense. So I'm pretty excited about what this defensive line can do. But um, you're right. Uh, we haven't, and that's the thing, that's kind of what you want early in the season anyway. I'd agree right? with that. You don't want to say, wow, these guys are, are firing on all cylinders, and this is as good as you can, you know. No, you save that for later. So uh, barring injuries, uh, it, the future looks very promising uh, for the front seven and this defense as a whole. Chris Matthews, speaking of uh, injuries, uh, finger injury on Friday night, which took him out of the game, but gave an opportunity for Darvin Adams, 
man, if not for a penalty, he might have had the, the highlight of the, of the week, yeah. maybe the catch of the year on the one-handed uh, touchdown grab that was called back due to penalty. Uh, but this uh, this offensive group seems to be hitting its stride collectively. And uh, yet, I would say the same thing about the offense that I just said about the defense. They've got a lot of room to grow, and the fact that they haven't got Chris Matthews going yet, I think, is a great sign. Yeah, you know, I think if there was a, a criticism of an offense that leads the league in many categories like they did last year, I think the one takeaway was we could use more explosive plays. I think that was what you would have said about the 2018 offense. And so far this year, uh, just in the past two games, you've seen two explosive plays to Lucky Whitehead, a 75-yard and a 41-yarder. And then uh, this past game against the Ottawa Red Blacks, very second play of the game offensively for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. You had a strike, an 82-yard strike to Nick Dembski. So I think they've added that element. Harris stays in the backfield to block, and Nichols in the pocket. Going long, he's got Dembski wide open at the 40, the 30, Dembski the 20. He's gone for a Blue Bomber touchdown. Nick Dembski on a long throw from Matt Nichols, and the Blue Bombers are off and running. The only thing, you know, in my mind, this game, uh, what did they have, 436 total yards, and Andrew Harris had like 130 combined rushing and, and passing out of the back. What well, was really a, a prototypical Andrew Harris game. Yeah, yeah very Friday complete. Night. But Nichols was on, Nichols was going to throw for well over 300 yards in this game uh, until he got hurt, you know. And that's an interesting, uh, I wrote about that this week, uh, and I, I, it was always really... Gotta, always got to get the plug in for the caller, right, Doug? <laughs> but I, it, was about, it was about tendency breaking, right? And right. having... Calling a, a QB draw for Matt Nichols, uh, I'm assuming this was not a spontaneous uh, uh, reflex action by him, but so calling a, a QB draw for Matt Nichols, who's not known for his fleetness of foot, to me, that's a tendency breaker, right? That is something, you know, and that lends to the brilliance of Paul Apolise. He's always a couple head uh, steps ahead of the defense. Good teams watch their own film as much as they watch the other team's film because they want to know what people are keying on, what their cues are, what their tendencies are. You got to break those. You want to keep uh, a, a defense from figuring you out. You want to stay ahead of them. You want to uh, uh, beat them in the game plan aspect. You got to study and know what your own tendencies are and change those up uh, in order to uh, have that element of surprise against the defense. Defense. So, so obviously calling a QB draw for Matt Nichols, that's a big tendency breaker. Normally, I mean, that play is not uh, foreign to the Winnipeg Blue Bomber offensive uh, playbook in any way, shape, or form. But that's a Chris Strebler play, right? That's not a Matt Nichols play. So uh, brilliant call, 18 yards. But it's interesting. Sometimes when you put a player in a position to do something that he doesn't do it very often or frequently or very well, they get a little more exposure out there because they don't have sure they haven't figured out all the nuances of doing this and open field running down the middle of the field for 18 yards isn't something Matt Nichols does with great frequency or regularity so let alone the sliding part so he doesn't exactly have the Andrew Harris uh, uh, instincts and uh, and understanding of okay this run is about to end right now right. let's let's do something before before I get. Uh, you know, broken in, in into multiple you've, pieces. You've so. gotten all you deserve at this point. It's yeah. time to go down, yeah, son. Yeah, so sometimes uh, you can almost be too smart in the sense that, wow, they'll never be expecting this. Sometimes you got to think, well, you know, maybe they aren't expecting that for a good reason because they didn't think we would 
do that or put this player in that situation where uh, he could. And for me, you know, that's that's the only limitation I see for this football team. Um, if you're too reckless with with your quarterback, if you expose him to too much, I just don't. You know, as we've watched. Strevler progress since he's been here. Granted, it's still early in his second season, um, but he still doesn't look like a guy that would be able to seamlessly step in from Nichols and run the same kind of passing attack and balanced offense. It would be, you know, 75% run heavy, I think, and 25% short passes uh, mm-hmm. if he was able to ever, ever to take over the offense again for uh, an extended amount of time. But I hope I'm wrong in that scenario. But every time we see him go in and, and drop back, he just looks so much more comfortable, you know, running the football and trying to Hulk smash people. So <laughs> I, I love I love when you uh, take us inside the defensive huddle. And as you were talking about those tendency breakers, I was thinking back to the blue bombers of 2014, 15, uh, 2016 to a certain extent where you would hear from other teams, they wouldn't come right out and say it, but you'd hear it through the grapevine that they knew what the blue bombers were going to do before they do it. They, before they did it, it was so apparent. That is so deflating. Right. Oh my God. What is it? That That reminds me of the time when, when defensively we found out that uh, our opponents, specifically the Montreal Alouettes, this is like early 2000s, had figured out our defensive coordinator, Mike Gorton. They had figured out all his defensive signals because back then there weren't the, the armbands and the sig- like he was just had the same signals for cover zero or, or whatever we were doing. And they would always just run, f- you know, four or five go routes. As soon as they saw the cover zero, Brian Chu would be looking at staring right at our defensive coordinator uh, waiting to see that call signal into our defense and then they would audible change their play to uh you know and we're like wow we'd be watching film afterwards and our coach would go wow i can't believe the good fortune they have to be calling this play at the exact time it's like they knew what we were doing on defense like they yeah and then we found out they did know what we were doing on defense which actually uh uh, makes the defense in the early 2000s that's much, that much more impressive because for the most part a lot of teams actually understood everything we were doing out there and when we were still couldn't still <laughs> couldn't we work against you blitz and, and we still did okay so that was uh, but yeah that's uh, as you uh, were alluding to in 2014 when when opponents were saying yeah you know we we, un- we knew what play you were going to run and da, 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 da. this is a, definitely a far cry from that uh, Paul Apolise is many steps ahead of of most the defense he's facing and uh, as long as he doesn't get too cute or too smart uh, it's uh, it's going to end up in an exceptional uh, another exceptional season for the offense I think so I don't know if this speaks volumes about our lack of ability to get to the main point of a conversation or it speaks volumes about just how complete this team is. The play of the game on Friday night was made by one of your favorite players, Justin Medlock, that going down and covering his own punt really swung the momentum. Even though the Blue Bombers were in control most of the game, that halted any sort of idea, in my mind, that Ottawa might have had that they were going to get back in the game. Well, yeah. I mean, Nichols... Uh, up until the third quarter, you know, Nichols was putting together a masterful offensive performance. He goes out of the game. Strevler comes in. Uh, there's a tip ball that leads to an interception. Uh, there's another pass that gets fumbled. That's get returned for a touchdown. All the momentum was gone for the Bombers. The Ottawa Red Blacks were taking back control of this football game until that play right there. And uh, interesting to take you into the mindset of a professional like Justin Medlock because he wasn't having a good game by any you know, he missed two field goals. 
normally you have to wait two seasons for Justin Medlock to miss two field goals. He missed two field goals in one game, right? So uh, obviously, uh, you know, you're affected by that as an athlete, but he still had the presence of mind to understand the situation, uh, to recognize what was going on and make the biggest play of the game. It'll land at the five, and is it going to go in the end zone? No, it doesn't. And Medlock. here's Medlock, and he kicked Medlock, kicked it out of bounds at the three-yard line. That should be bomber ball. That could be bomber ball. They'll have to rule who touched it last. Winnipeg last touched the ball before it went out of bounds. Be their ball, first down. What a play. That was really setting up his offense then for, for an easy score uh, when everything was shifting the other way. That was the turning point without question. There was no other bigger play in terms of impacting the outcome of the game than what Justin Medlock did in that game. And uh, he's such a pro, it's just automatic to him. People talk about, oh, what's the difference between rookies and, and tenured vets? Uh, guys like Medlock that are masters of their craft and that hone what they're doing and work on it and are just obsessed with perfecting what they do. They have instant, they don't, he doesn't probably even have to think about what was happening there. He just saw, he punted, uh, he re- obviously realized he's the onside guy. Um, he saw that the returner was, you know, waiting for the ball to make a decision on 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 whether it was going to go out of bounds or, or so on and so forth, maybe get a new, no yards call. And he reacted, and it was the biggest play of the game for them. And you can't, uh, a lot of times, uh, you, you can't overvalue or overestimate that kind of uh, uncanny ability by a, a tenured vet who's just a, a pure pro like Justin Medlock. Changes, changes the nature and outcome of that game. Yeah, just that in an innate ability just to understand what's happening in the point of the game and to step up and, and to make a difference is, is something special. And you, and you see it from athletes all the time when you least expect it. And I think you, you bring up the great point, the idea that he'd already missed two field goals. I wonder if that added to the sense of urgency that Medlock had on that play to kind of make up for the fact that he'd missed a couple field goals. You you never, uh, I always wonder, because you never know exactly what inspires somebody to make a great play like that, whether it's just, well, he's always doing it, you just don't notice, Mm -hmm. and somebody picks him up, or there was just a little bit of extra juice in the, in the, in the, uh, in the uh, fuel tank for him to get down there and check it out. But he was unwilling to talk about it. Didn't talk in the post game because he was upset. His teammates, apparently, uh, Mike Cochet was uh, telling Bob Irving on the coaches show Monday night, the fact that, yeah, he didn't really want to talk about it. Even in practice on Tuesday, didn't mm-hmm. want to talk about it because, uh, oh no, Monday, because it is Tuesday here. Kyle, cut that out. Even practice on Monday, didn't really want to talk about it. He was more focused, more concerned about the fact that he'd missed two field goals. And, and that's just a, a just a absolute indication of what a professional Justin Medlock is. So I guaranteed the 4-0 right off the bat. Are <laughs> uh, you going to try and talk me out of my prediction, my bold sort of assumption of a victory on Friday night, Doug? No, uh, not at all. By every... Uh you know, any stretch of the imagination by any analysis of anything about these two teams, the fabric of these two teams and what they've accomplished and done so far and their resumes going into this game. You know, that's the, uh, the only thing you caution of, you know, obviously you talk about trap games, right? What are trap games when one team is so heavily favored and the expectation is that they just blow out another football team. They start to hear that. Um, it affects their preparation, um, it affects their intensity, and then conversely, the other team 
that is being totally ignored, disrespected. You know, like imagine if they played this podcast in the Toronto Argonaut. Just the first couple minutes of you lamenting about how they are already 4-0, right? Um, so as a, as a team uh, that is winless, you know, if you get enough of this rallying fodder and enough uh, fires lit... I mean, stranger things have happened. There would have to be obviously a litany of turnovers and injuries, I think, for Toronto to uh, be successful in this game. But uh, that's the only danger of a game like this is overconfidence and, uh, you know, that other team being rankled by the publicized uh, disrespect on, on, you know, throughout uh, many, many different media channels. So... But yeah, they, the Toronto Argonauts just look incapable and hapless right now. And uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty sad story over there. Now, the construct of the CFL dictates that these two teams are in different uh, divisions. Uh, I would argue they're in two different leagues right now <laughs> because uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are the class of the CFL and the Toronto Argonauts are still trying to get it all figured out. Doug Brown, always great to get some time with you. So we're both uh, predicting 4-0. There's only one of us who predicted that the Bombers would beat Ottawa last week. No, I don't week. remember who that Yeah, that yeah. was me, not you. Right. So, you uh, have to go back and listen to yourself again. Uh, yeah, well, I, I got the tapes because I, I was saying it all week. I was brave enough to, uh, to, to uh, pronounce... Uh, on the morning show, on the start, that that the Blue Bombers would be coming home three and zero. It's okay, Doug. We won't hold it against you. It's all good. I know you don't believe in the in what's happening uh, at the university as as much as uh, one other person. I'm I'm teasing you, of course. And Kyle, you can totally pull that out. Doug, we will uh, pause for another seven days or so, and we'll get back together for the next edition of the podcast. Good to see you, buddy. All right, my man. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.